Welcome to East Lansing Crime Warp, a podcast hosted by myself, Hannah Brock, and my co-host, Maddie Monroe. Each week, we'll update you on current crime, and then we'll take you back to a crime blast from the past. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned. This week, we're covering the 2001 murder of Bernita White. But before we get into it, we have a few current crime-related updates. So, President Donald Trump's campaign filed a lawsuit in Michigan. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so this lawsuit was filed about a week ago by Trump's campaign, and basically it alleged Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson did not allow bipartisan teams to review absentee ballots in Michigan, which is also a swing state in this past election. And in response, Trump's campaign demanded to halt the counting of absentee votes. Now, this lawsuit was announced before it was actually filed in the court of claims. So by the time that it was actually filed within the court and the court could respond to it, basically all the votes had already been counted. I mean, I think there was only a few left at that point. So it wouldn't really make a difference to halt anything. Then it was officially denied on Friday in the Michigan Court of Claims. And then the next day, Biden was projected to win the presidential race. You know, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding like voter fraud and if that's possible and if votes are fraud, there's been a lot of controversy about that. So basically, not even an hour after Biden was announced as projected to win, there were hundreds of Trump supporters gathering at the Lansing Capitol. And basically, they were reiterating that controversy about votes and they were saying that they wanted to recount the votes and that they were still going to fight for Trump. And one of the more, I don't know, surprising things that they said was um, one speaker said, you know, are you willing to fight for Trump? And then he added that this is the second civil war. So that was a little surprising to hear, but um, that's basically what happened. I was just curious, do you know about how many people you could guess were there on Saturday? I would definitely say hundreds. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would go as far as a thousand, Mm -hmm. but maybe. Mm -hmm. I'm really not good (laughs) at estimating amounts of people, especially being a five foot two person. (laughs) When I'm in the middle of the crowd, I really can't see. Right. Um, When I record my videos, I typically put them way above my Mm -hmm. head. So, um, I mean, the whole steps of the Capitol Mm -hmm. were completely packed in. And then there were also like people all the way out to the statue, Mm -hmm. um, which is like at the end of the walkway. So uh, that has to be a lot of people. And then they also had the Trump unity wagon, I think it's called. And there were people kind of congregating around that. And then there were also some like anti-Governor Whitmer things going on and then petitions and then shirts and hats and all that stuff being sold and there was a good amount of people gathered Mm -hmm. around that as well which is on the sidewalk kind of facing when you kind of go straight towards Mm -hmm. the capitol so there was a lot of people there Mm -hmm. so a little more news out of saturday what updates can you give us about game day gathering violations yeah so typically weekly I will do a game day recap. I'll call up East Lansing Police Department because gathering seems to be an issue off campus, not really on campus. And I'll kind of have him give me the updates. Last week, when um, the game day doubled as Halloween, it obviously got a little bit more 
I guess, hyped up. I mean, there was more going on that day. So there were 11 gathering violations on October 31st, two arrests, and I believe 24 fires. So that was a lot to go on. And prior to that, there were seven gathering violations on game day. And then this week, there were three. So I initially went into this just wanting to compare how they're going up and down. And I reached out to MSU Communications and the mayor to just, you know, give me a comment. What kind of message do you want to give to the student population? And the story ended up turning into something completely different. So basically, the mayor and kind of MSU Communications were just kind of talking about how this is a very small sect of students that are continuing to disregard health orders and continuing to kind of, as they put it, disregard the health and welfare of the community and putting parties over that. So I interviewed both of them about it. There have been a a good amount of people who have been in the student conduct process for this because when you do violate the health orders in East Lansing, even if you are not living on campus, if you are an MSU student, they can tell East Lansing Police Department, can tell the university that you did that, and then you could be subject to either an interim suspension or a full suspension. Now, an interim suspension is typically just when you're going through the student conduct process, they're reviewing what you did, deciding how to go about it, you are not allowed to participate in your classes. Something I didn't include in the article that um, the deputy spokesperson, Dan Olson, said to me was you can violate that interim suspension by just submitting a homework assignment. So you, yeah, so you are not allowed to participate in your classes and you're also not refunded for any of that. Also, if you get fully suspended, you are not refunded for anything that you have already paid for and it's at least one semester. So that would obviously put you behind on your graduation date and yeah, so I mean it's pretty steep consequences. East Lansing, the East Lansing mayor, Aaron Stevens was just saying that the city has done, you know, everything they can think of and at this point it just comes down to personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. You are either going to put as he put it, you're either going to put the community's health over a party or you're just going to prioritize a party and he was saying that these small groups of students are giving the rest of MSU students a bad name. So that was kind of what the article turned into when I was expecting to just give my typical game day recap. Alrighty, thank you for listening to this week's crime updates. Now it's time for the crime blast from the past. June 23rd, 2001 was a warm sunny day at Lansing's Potter Park Zoo. The park was busy with about 300 people inside and dozens more outside enjoying the picnic tables, playground, and the park's greenery. Among them was Bernita White and her five-year-old daughter, Michaela, hoping to spend some quality time in the sun. As the two walked towards the entrance, they were unknowingly walking into tragedy. From afar, a sniper was zeroing in on Bernita just before 3.30 p.m. Seemingly out of nowhere, a shot rang out and Bernita fell to the ground murdered. So I think it's kind of interesting that our last episodes have all been on women being murdered or violence against women. And 
it's kind of interesting because according to like United States statistics, men are a lot more likely to be murdered than women. So I'm not really sure what that says about the Lansing area. I don't know if maybe these more prominent crimes that we're able to uncover that are relevant to East Lansing and Lansing involve women because they have, I don't know how to put this, they have more of a a shock factor to Mm -hmm. them. So I'm not sure if women are just killed more violently Mm -hmm. than men or they are, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to me that men are so much more likely to be murdered. Right. But that our last few episodes and a majority of the cases that we have on our list to discuss in the future focus on women. Right. A majority of the cases that we have on our list are female victims. We do have a few that are male, um, but it's a slim number compared to the amount of women. Right. And I... I wouldn't say that that's a reflection on us, like, favoring ones about women. That's just what's most prominent around here. What's most, I guess, known and reported on. Because our the way that we do this is we look back into research archives and kind of see what we can find. Whatever's been covered a lot in the last 30 years. Right. And it tends to be women. Right. So I don't know what that says about news media. I don't know what that says about the way women are murdered or the way that the public views a woman being murdered versus a man being murdered, but I just think that's something interesting. It is interesting. Alrighty, so I think that about covers it. Let's get back into the case. Michaela was unscathed, but the bullet entered Bernita's arm, went through her heart, and came out her right side. The unknown gunman was at least 100 yards away, out of sight. Though they could not find the bullet yet, Lansing police determined it was not accidentally fired at Bernita, given the trajectory of the bullet. Bernita was either chosen randomly, or she was the target of something more sinister. Fearing more gunshots, the park employees quickly evacuated the zoo, but no more shots were fired. The zoo and park closed for the remainder of the day. Artis White, Bernita's husband and a state police detective sergeant, had dropped them off. He arrived at his pickup time to find Bernita had been murdered. Bernita had filed for divorce a month earlier, but the two remained living together with their two daughters. Upon the news of her death, Bernita's 67-year-old mother died of a heart attack only seven hours later. A week after the shooting, Lansing police returned to the park to investigate a tree nearby with a bullet-sized hole. The tree was cut down and taken to a lab to see if a bullet was inside it. At this point in time, police began looking into Artis. Court records revealed Bernita had accused Artis of hiring a private investigator to follow her after she filed for divorce. Bernita said Artis also told her he had footage of her in a motel with another man and threatened to release the tape unless she agreed to joint physical custody of their children. Her husband's attorney denied Artis had any involvement in Bernita's murder. Four months later, no charges were issued against any suspect in Bernita's case. While maintaining his innocence, her husband Artis offered a $5,000 reward for information leading to the conviction of the murder. He returned to work with the state police after four months of paid leave. A year after Bernita's murder, police had made no arrests, found no murder weapon, and could not find a motive 
for her death. At this time, artists did not deny at the time of Bernita's murder he had been having an affair. He continued to maintain his innocence and cooperated with police. Quote, it's been really traumatic, her husband said in a 2002 article. I can't have any closure until they find out who killed her. I can't clear my name as a suspect because they don't have anyone else. End quote. Artists revealed on the day of Bernita's murder, the two and their daughter were attending a birthday party at the zoo. He left to pick up their other daughter, Alana, at another party several miles away. Bernita's father, who lost his wife and daughter within 24 hours, said Bernita was a very smart girl. I can't imagine anyone wanting to murder my daughter. I've asked myself that a million times. End quote. Police searched for similar sniper crimes across the country, landing on John Muhammad and John Lee Malvo, who had been charged with 10 killings in Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. The Lansing police interest in the sniper shootings in D.C. was reported first by the state news, which is kind of interesting, so we threw it in there. The bullets used in the shooting in D.C. were a different size than the ones used in the murder of Bernita, as well as different possible motives. The men were never connected to Bernita's murder. In 2003, artists wrote a book titled Who Killed My Wife and further claimed that he had nothing to do with Bernita's murder. More than 10 years later, a cold case team approached Bernita's case with fresh eyes. Police hoped social networking would generate new tips and lead to closure for her family. In 2012, police previously focused on artists but GPS evidence and witnesses proved he wasn't near the zoo when Bernita was shot. In 2013, a Lansing City Pulse article uncovered the department's disorganization when it came to cold cases. In 2014, the Lansing police hired a cold case detective to fix it. Bernita's case was one of over 70 other unsolved cases at the time. Today, Bernita's case remains cold. Okay, so some interesting things I kind of want to point out. I don't think that her husband should have been ruled out just because he was not near the scene. Yeah. You watch any ID show. Right. Any murder show, any crime entertainment that you can find, and just because they're not around does not mean that they didn't do it. Right. If you have money, you can hire people to do things for you. Easy. Right. I mean, I don't know if it would be easy, but I would think that... I mean, like, it's an easy assumption to make. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's an easy assumption to make. I don't know. I think it's just so sad to realize that it's so many years later, and they still have nothing on her murder. Nothing at all. It's crazy to me that they had no other suspects other than her husband and some slightly related sniper shootings in a different part of the country. And they had not, I mean, they had ruled him out in terms of there were witnesses to say he was somewhere else, and the GPS evidence showed he was somewhere else. But they let him return to work. Right. With the state police. Right. And the state police were working with Lansing Police Department. Right. To figure out the case. Seems like a little bit of a conflict of interest. A bit. A bit. A bit. Not to mention, I mean, Lansing City Pulse uncovered in 2013 that there was so much disorganization when it came to cold cases. 
And when I read that article, it kind of made me really sad because it said somewhere in there that sometimes it took the family of the homicide victim to call and remind the police department that they had been murdered and that no one had been convicted and please look into this. I can't even imagine. Well, when it's been so many years, you have to think they've hired new people, they've done position switch arounds. It's really not hard. I mean, just think about it in terms of cases and different stories we want to follow. When we switch positions at the semester line, that stuff gets lost. It's a whole new ball game. Exactly. So somebody who is up on Bernita's case switches over, and maybe this new person just is not aware. They have to start over again. Right. Like, they don't have all of the preconceived stuff. Right. So these cold cases are what... I don't know. I think this is... I think this is when media is important because you'll have a reporter who starts looking back into stuff. We've seen this a lot with LSJ, so props to you guys. If any of you listen, probably not, but (laughs) just in case you did, props (laughs) to you guys because they do go back. And every couple years, they'll put out an article. Hey, remember this person? Right. This is what happened in their case. And that's important because there could be someone out there sitting in their living room scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through the LSJ website, they see that they remember something. Mm -hmm. And that's the key to breaking these cold cases. Somebody needs to come forward and say something. And I feel like as time goes on, guilt eats at you. Right. And then you say something. But it might take people talking about it, people around you talking about it, for you to feel that you need to relieve that guilt instead of just ignoring it Mm -hmm. in terms of it her husband he's still in law enforcement i don't know if you saw this but he's working in flint i think yeah i did see that now Mm -hmm. maybe i don't know maybe he's retired now obviously people are following bermuda's case not what's going on with artists Mm -hmm. um i also don't understand why they took the gps evidence and the witness evidence as just, okay, this is fact, when there were court records and court files, documents, proving that she had accused him of following her around with a private investigator, Mm -hmm. threatening her with tapes of her with another man at a motel. And then at the same time, he did not deny that he was also having an Mm -hmm. affair. She had just filed for a divorce. I mean, how can you say you can't find a motive? Right. There's obviously something going on there. I mean, there's hard evidence that she was fearful of her husband. Right. They had filed for divorce almost exactly a month before her murder. Right. And I feel like, I mean, the whole sniper thing. So I'm not super sure on how skilled you have to be to shoot someone from more than 100 yards away, I would assume that you would have to be pretty skilled to do that, especially when the zoo was so busy, right? This was a weekend day, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so the zoo's busy. They said that there were hundreds of people there. So how do you, how do you fire into basically a crowd, hit one person, and then leave? That's That seems so targeted to me. 
Yeah, I mean, my brain immediately goes to this was probably someone with military experience or law enforcement experience. And then what does that say? We're not saying anything (laughs) concrete, but what does that say? But then something you brought up was why would the father have someone shoot the wife with his child when he was fighting for custody of his child? Right. I thought it was odd to me that a father would put their child through that trauma of seeing their mother being shot, that I wasn't 100% sure if this was something that he could have done. You never know. But I just thought that was an interesting point of view, an odd point to make. Like, if you were a father and you didn't particularly like your wife and maybe you wanted to kill her, I would think there would be other ways. One, that would draw less attention. And two, that didn't involve your five-year-old standing there next to her. That would make a lot more sense, I guess. Right, but was Michaela standing right next to her? We don't know. I mean, I know they were walking into into the entrance of the zoo, but, I mean, that's just according to what was released, you know, maybe she was calling Michaela over like, come on, stop playing. It's time to go buy our tickets and go inside. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe she wasn't right next to her. I don't really know. And I know I like that you brought up that. Why would you if you wanted to kill your significant other? Why would you do it in such a public way? But I also think that there's an element of gain to doing it like that. Because one, the person was so far away, nobody knew where it came from, and immediately everyone was just focused on Bernita, helping her, making sure she's okay. Evidently she wasn't, but everyone's focus immediately went to that. Nobody was looking. Right. From, I mean, I'm sure some people were trying to look around, but clearly it had been fired from so far away that they were never going to find the person, they were never going to see the person. I mean, in the articles that we that we read, they were in like a wooded area. I think there might be an element of that's easier. Because say if he poisoned her in their home or shot her while she was walking down the street, somebody would have to be in close proximity. Whereas this is just from afar. There's so many people. There was, what'd you say, 300 people mm-hmm. there? Okay. 300 people inside the park and dozens more outside. Just kind of wandering around. So how many suspects is that? Minus the children, because I feel like they wouldn't target children. I mean... Hundreds? Hundreds. Right. A couple hundred. So the police are just thrown into a mess trying mm-hmm. to figure out who the heck did it. So I almost think if the husband were to have done it, I mean, it was kind of perfect. He went to go pick up the other daughter, mm-hmm. came back like an hour after she had been... Murdered. Pretty good alibi. Uh, Yeah. He was with his kid. Right. He was at a different birthday party with a bunch of other people to say, yeah, Artis is here. Right. No way he could have done it. Like, why? I, I struggle to, to fathom why nobody addressed that. Like, why was he just cleared? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know. I don't know. A little funky to me. Also, to note, unless you're someone who tells a lot of people that you're going to go to the zoo... It's probably a small suspect pool of people who would have known that she was going to be there at that specific time. 
Right. Like it could have only been the people who were like planning the birthday party or the people attending the birthday party. But just because you attend doesn't mean that you know everyone who's going. Right. So it was like her husband, maybe a, some friends, mm-hmm. maybe her family right. knew she was going. But let's be real. When my sister says, oh, I'm going to go get coffee. Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, you know, my sister's getting coffee, but I'm not like, where is she getting coffee? Right. What exact time is she planning on leaving and getting there? Right. Like, I would never know that. Right. I wouldn't know when you, I mean. We live in the same room. <laughs> right. I wouldn't know when you're going to Kroger and coming back. Just, you go do your thing. You That's, would if you dropped me off and picked me back up. You're not wrong. Something I want to bring up with you and kind of remind our listeners, because it was a small part of it. Her mom died as soon, basically as soon as she heard her daughter. Seven hours after Bernita's murder, her mother died after hearing the news. Right. And then left, you know, that only left the father. That's so sad. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. They were buried the same week. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if they were buried in the same service. I'm not sure. I know they were buried next to each other. And I know they were buried in the same week. I am unsure if it was the same day. Right. So can you imagine that kind of loss? And then your son-in-law, who is the father of your grandchildren, is under investigation. Right. Who do you have at that point? I can't imagine being that guy, you know? Right. Right. And then he he lived pretty long. He was still featured in a lot of the articles. And can you imagine just watching this never come to fruition after so much pain and tragedy was caused in your life? Because you never of, have closure. Yeah, you never get closure. And then to find out that the Lansing police who is who are handling your daughter's cold case are so disorganized that they have to hire a new person to you know, completely do a 180 and figure out what the heck is going on with 70 other cold cases. I mean, another thing I want to know is he was so adamant about his innocence. We didn't have a chance to read the book. It was very expensive on Amazon, I might add. It was $40. I'm a college student. That is a lot of money. That is a week or two of groceries for me. (laughs) So I didn't purchase it. Maddie didn't purchase it. He didn't read it. But, you know, it was titled, Who Killed My Wife? That immediately implies innocence. (laughs) Right, innocence. Like when OJ wrote the hypothetical, if he did it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, if you guys have any ideas on who you think did it, we've gone pretty far into artists because there were no other suspects. But if you have any other ideas and you are listening on a platform that you are able to comment on, feel free to give us your feedback. So that concludes our fourth episode of East Lansing Crime War. We hope you've enjoyed this story and we look forward to telling you more in the future. Thank you for listening.